scripture this morning is from Isaiah 9, uh, verses 2 through 7. <clears throat> the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed that you would give your son because you loved us so much that because we believe in you, we have eternal life. Father, thank you that you've allowed this to happen so that we could be redeemed through the birth of your son. And Father, we believe in you, we trust in you, we love you. We're grateful for this season that we're in as we celebrate and learn more about your faithfulness and goodness to us in this morning. Thank you for the time of worship that we can have and celebrate together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. We are taking a break from 1 Corinthians, and we're going to spend some time in Isaiah 9. If you're like, well, where's the Christmas story? Well, you have to show up tonight, and we're going to read through the Christmas story through the book of Matthew, and, um, and we're going to sing songs of worship to him, and uh, it's a shorter service, and I will give a short devotional. I do mean short, probably four or five minutes at most, So, because we want the focus to be on us worshiping him through song and hearing his, the story, the, the true story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And then afterwards, we'll gather in a circle and do the lighting of the candles, um, one of my favorite times of the year. So we are spending today, though, in Isaiah chapter 9, and how many of you started singing Handel's, Handel's Messiah when he was reading the, the names of Emmanuel. Yeah, there's a few there. Yeah, I, couldn't, I just can't help myself but, but, but sing those songs and sing those names. But Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9 was written during a specific time to a specific people. And so my hope today is that we're able to understand a bit of original context of Isaiah's time 
moving forward to the time of Christ and then ending, of course, with how this passage affects us today as, uh, as believers in, in the church today. It's also helpful to remember, too, with, with many prophecies in Scripture, there's a then or a now and not yet or here and not yet kind of meaning to it. In other words, it has meaning within the original context. And so when he says, unto us a child is born, there was a child actually born during that time, but it also is looking forward to the child who soon will be born. And he gives hints to that in this chapter. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but there's this here and not yet kind of anticipation within prophecies. Um, and of course, within our passage this morning, Christ is the fulfillment of this full, this, full, this particular one, plus if you want to move forward to, to chapter 50, 53, 54, 55, 56, chapter 7, which Aaron had read earlier. And by the time, though, that Isaiah had received these words from God, the glory days of King David, the glory of days of King David had been gone for over 200 years. So Israel has been without a David. They've had kings, but 200 years later, the nation of Israel had been split in two, with Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and the Assyrians, who had already conquered Israel, were on the verge of conquering Judah. See, bad things had already happened in the lives of God's people because of their disobedience and indifference to God. They disobeyed God. They ignored his law. They ignored his desires and his wants. And so he said, if you do this, I will bring bad things. They ignored him, were indifferent to God, and he brought the Assyrians. And they came, and they murdered, and they killed, and they destroyed as they came through the, the land of Israel. Bad things were happening to them. And so God says, I brought your ju my judgment upon you. I brought my judgment upon you. I have made you suffer greatly under the Assyrians. But through this prophecy to Isaiah, he reminds them that they are still his people. You are still my people and I will still bless you. I will bless you if you turn away from your sins, away from your disobedience, and you turn back to me. In verse 2 of chapter 9 begins with a stark contrast between darkness and light. Israel, who has walked in the darkness of despair under the Assyrian invasion, has, been, has seen a great light. And this light has shined upon them, bringing them to the mind, and hopefully to us, bring it to mind the benediction that we do at the end of every service. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the, Lord, may the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This great light which makes the darkness flee is the blessing in the presence of God. Where once they felt all alone in the midst of despair and death, God will reveal himself and dwell personally among his people. What once was dark is now made light. This light of God has an immediate effect on his people. 
Some form of joy is mentioned four times in verse 3 alone. And when something is repeated, it's probably important. That's one of the mainstays for reading and studying scripture. If it's repeated, especially four times in one verse, what is he trying to say? Well, probably this verse means my presence with you is going to bring you joy. Now, we shouldn't confuse joy with happiness. Happiness all too often depends on circumstances. Uh, I've recently had two people in my family diagnosed with breast cancer. Happiness is not a word that I would use to describe such a circumstance. Many of you have dealt with health issues or death of family members or struggles in life, whatever they may be. And you wouldn't say, you know, I'm really happy. I'm really happy that, that I got cancer. I'm really happy that my family member passed away. That's, that's not what we would say. But joy? True joy and everlasting joy is a state of being more than it is an emotion. Joy is not dependent upon what is happening to you at any given moment. It is the state of your mind and your heart. And for the Christian, it's the one and the only way to get everlasting joy is through God and having our mind and our hearts devoted and focused upon him and his goodness, on his light, on his presence. You see, joy cannot be diminished by the darkness of pain and suffering. And ultimately, Israel rejoices. Why? Because God is with them, despite the Assyrian invasion. Because at the time of this prophecy, Assyria is still there. And they're threatening. Eventually, they're going to threaten Jerusalem. And that's the, if you know your, 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 uh, your Bible, if you remember reading about Hezekiah, he, he prays that God would relieve Jerusalem from the siege, and God does. So the Assyrians are still there. The threat is still there. But he says, by me being with you, you have joy, even in the midst of these invaders. And so when Israel receives the light of God, joy naturally follows. They're changed. The threat of the Assyrians may still be real, but at the coming of the Lord, joy will overflow in them. That's why it's said four separate times in that verse. And God also not only gives them joy, but his love for them is revealed. A great burden had been placed on the people of Israel. God's judgment had brought pain, suffering, death. But the day is coming, Isaiah says, when that burden will be lifted. The day is coming when the rod of the oppressor of Assyria is going to be broken. The day is coming when the war will end and peace will reign. And yes, the disobedience of the people of Israel is rightly judged by God through the Assyrians, but his love for them has never wavered. He is their father. He is their God. I, I love my children. Any loving parent loves their children. But at the same time, every loving parent also disciplines their children. Now, when I discipline my kids, does my love for, me, for them waver? No, it doesn't. 
How much more so for God? When he disciplines his people Israel, it does not mean that he no longer loves them, that they are no longer his. His love for them has never wavered and never ended. And then Isaiah talks about this day of Midian. Now that refers back to Gideon's battle against the the Midianites. If you remember the story where he um, gathers a bunch of Israelite soldiers together and God starts to whittle them down. The the Midian army is as great as the sand of the seashore. It's described as a massive army. And God says, now there's too many Israelites. So he whittles them down to 300 And then the way that they fight the battle is by screaming and yelling and blowing horns. Do you remember that? Okay, maybe, what's the, uh, um, oh, VeggieTales. Maybe that'll help you out. Those little kids, right? On the day of Midian, on that day, the Lord defeated a great army using only 300 men of Israel. And on that day, the great love of the Lord for his people compelled him to set them free from their oppressors, the Midianites. And their bonds of slavery to them were broken. And he says through Isaiah, I will do the same against the Assyrians. Not by arms of war that are in your hand, but by me. My love will be seen and you will be freed. His great love for the people is revealed through the peace that he will bring that only he can give because Israel is not strong enough to fight the Assyrians. But all of this is going to be done through a person, through a gift from God. He says in verse six, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. See, the day is coming when God will give a great gift to his people, the Messiah. He will be born, revealing his human origin, but he will also be from God, revealing his divine origin. He will be the presence of God with his people, not in the form of a temple, not in the form of a tent, but as a person. And this is seen in the names that he's going to be given. Now, names in the Old Testament are important. These names speak of the character of that individual. It reveals who they, who they are. And so the Messiah is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. If you want to know what those mean, we're actually going to talk about it tonight. These are names of God. They are his characteristics. He is a mighty God. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. God himself will come as a child to dwell personally with his people, reigning as their king. And his rule and reign will grow, bringing peace to his people who have suffered so much. He will sit on the throne of David, ruling with justice and righteousness, Not for 20 years or 100 years, but for all eternity. And to his reign, there will be no end. God blesses his people with himself. He shows his love for his people by giving them peace. And he gifts his people with his promised Messiah. And he will do all of this because He is jealous to redeem his people. 
One can imagine the great expectations that would arise for the people of Israel. They hear these words, God, when are you going to cast out the Assyrians? When is this Messiah going to come? But after the Assyrians came the Babylonians, and then the Medes, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. When? When, Lord? But the Lord will always accomplish what he promises. Though rarely do we, does it happen at the time that we expect. Isaiah's last words in this passage are an encouragement to them. They're waiting. Do it today. Isn't that how we are? Like, God, do it today. Heal my family members at this moment. Give me peace right now. Kick out the Assyrians right now. And God says... Oh, I will. Because my zeal or my jealousy, in that I will do it. I have promised I will do it and I am jealous to save you. I am jealous to redeem you from your enemies. God is going to bring joy and peace and love to his people. God will accomplish what he promises, even if the circumstances in that moment don't agree. Because the hope of the people of God is not found in themselves or in their circumstances, but in their God. The one who has always done what he says and is always jealous for the love of his people and he is jealous to redeem those who love him. 700 years after these words were penned. Now imagine that. So that would have been 1,300 in our time. 700 years later, God's people were still under attack. Not by Assyria, but by the great enemy of sin and death. See, the people of God thought, oh, you're going to save us politically. You're going to put a king who's going to rule and reign and he's going to get to come up and stall those bad guys who hate us. He's going to rule as a nation state, if you want to say, in the world. And that was not God's meaning. No earthly weapon of war could defeat sin and death in the hearts of his people. And so there was no hope for him. There was no hope for, for Israel. There's no hope for God's people until God once again blessed and brought his presence to his people. But he did it through a tiny child. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Jesus Christ, God's people receive the blessing and the presence of God himself. And his presence is what brings everlasting joy. In Christ, they see and experience the great love that God has for his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In Christ, True and lasting peace from the enemies of sin and death is found. In Christ, God reveals himself, his, his character. He reveals who he is. 
And in Christ, the long-awaited king has finally come and is right now ruling and reigning on his everlasting throne in heaven. In Christ, all of our hopes are found. And in Christ, the promises of God are fulfilled. The zeal, the jealousy of the Lord of hosts has done this. So we celebrate the coming of Christ. And yet even for us today, there is this here and not yet. Christ is ruling on his throne in heaven, but sin and death are still running rampant. And just like the people of Israel, we are saying, when, Lord? When are you coming? Are you going to come? And he says, in my zeal, I will come. I will make this happen. There is no need to fear. There may be war raging all around you, but as my people, I am with you. And you have my joy and my peace and my love and my hope. And you know that I'm coming because I have said I will come. And so if you are an unbeliever, If you have not put your trust in Christ, if you do not know him as your king, it's a really simplified thing. If you want to determine what is on the throne of your heart, where is your greatest desire, what is your greatest love, who is reigning in your life right now? If it is not Christ, then put your trust in the king. He's not simply a nice guy. He's, he's no ordinary prophet. He is the king of creation. He is the Lord of all things. He is God in the flesh who saves those who put their trust in him. And if you already are his, then use these words as a reminder that the greatest place to be is under his right and just rule. You want joy? Turn to Christ. You want peace? Remember that he is already with you. No matter what the circumstances in life bring you. And so continue to trust him and just bask in the greatness of his love, his peace, his joy, his hope, and his rule. That's what Christmas is about. It's filled with joy. Family and friends and presents. Usually snow. But that's okay. So may we today sit, sit in his rule and find love and joy and worship him for his goodness and his greatness. Amen. Father, remind this today and tomorrow. These next few days we could be filled with baking and cooking and spending time with friends and getting everything ready for for Christmas and the celebration that we have and we could tend even as your people to forget God that all of that could be taken away and you are still there and so may we be reminded of your son may we be reminded of the king may we look to you and see the light that you have brought and your peace and your joy and your hope and your love that you have for us. But also, Father, as your people, 
May we look forward with hope. Not a hope of, I hope you do it, but a hope of, I know you will do it, Father, because you will come again. You will bring your son again. And this time, he will make all things right, just as you have promised. But until that day comes, we rest in your peace and in your love and in your joy because you are our God and you are worthy of our worship and you always do as you promise. Thank you. We praise you and we lift you up in your precious name. Amen. So we stand, stand together as we sing our final song together.